0: You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a weekly podcast that explores the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic, hosted by two psychiatrists, Steve Ellen and Rob Seltzer. Shrink the Virus is brought to you by Melbourne independent community media organisation, Triple R. Check out the Shrink the Virus podcast page on the Triple R website and on Facebook. And don't forget, you can financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber at any time. More details at rrr.org.au. Hi, and welcome to Shrink the Virus, Steve. We need a time and date stamp. Well, it is Saturday the 9th of May
1: and to give you an idea of what's happening in the news, the big item today in the news was uh, the federal government has come out with their overall guiding plans just this morning about how we come out of ISO, how we move out of isolation. And they've got stage one, two, and three. Stage one is lots of restrictions still, but a few things opening up, more people allowed to visit, retail opening up at bars and clubs and all that sort of stuff still closed. And then it moves on from there, but it's up to each of the states to interpret it and to decide how they will open up individually, reflecting their own circumstances.
0: Do you know what I really like about that, uh, release of policy it's because it gives us a bit of certainty, a bit of certainty in a time of great uncertainty, we, we know what stages we have to move through to get to the next stage and I really like that
1: Yeah, I thought it was beautiful too it's, you know, it's what we've all been yeah. hanging out for and I was really glad to start digesting it. Hey, what's happening in your life, man?
0: Mate, I've been boning up on Italian, you know, I had this, I've always had this sort of uh, fantasy of going to you know, spend a couple of months in uh, the north of Italy And uh, so for the last uh, couple of months, I've been learning Italian, but now it's gone into overdrive because instead of going to taking my son to soccer three times a week, which I really love, I've spent those couple of hours every night learning Italian. So, you know, parlo italiano, baby. Um, Now, you know uh, our next guest really well. You've written books with her. You've done lots of talks with her. Why don't you introduce Catherine Devaney?
1: Oh, she's a hard one to introduce. I love
0: Catherine. I first met Catherine when
1: I did her Gunners Writing Masterclass. I can't remember how many years ago now um, because I decided, oh, I might try and Turned my hand to writing and I used to do a lot of medical writing and I wanted her to pivot me to become uh, more of a creative writer and uh, we got along like a house on fire we ended up writing a book together called mental it's all about you know general public guide to mental health check it out if you haven't got it already and uh, so I got to know well she's obviously does enormous amounts of stuff she's a comedian she's had lots of you know popular shows at the mm. uh, Melbourne International comedy Festival I've seen her at many of them she's written about 10 11 12 books uh, including what's her fiction book it's called the happiness trap no happiness. Oh, i've got a mental blank That's another book. sorry happiness. catherine I'll, I'll put it up on the website yeah. but it's one of my favorites i loved it um but i read it about five years ago now also books on how to um become a writer mm-hmm. and uh, she's also obviously a, a public commentator she does heaps of sort of social commentary um through various forms writing social media and the rest of it and uh, she's coming to join us today to talk all about life under the pandemic and and give us some of her great insights. I probably should tell you, though, there is a strong language warning. Whenever um, Catherine and I get together and you've been joined into it, Rob, we always end up uh, um, uh, saying it as it is. So if you don't like strong language warning, uh, you probably should turn off, but it's all—it's not that bad. So, you know, stick with the team. And uh, that's probably enough. Let's bring Catherine into the conversation. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. And joining us now is our good friend, Catherine Devaney, all-round legend from Melbourne, the Queen of Brunswick, the everything of Brunswick, the leader, Catherine, g'day.
2: Thank you. I'm the supreme being. My, um, my kids uh, refer to the fact that I'm the supreme being and that they live under a benevolent feminist dictatorship. So uh, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, it's great to be here. I've listened to all the podcasts and I've really enjoyed them. Oh, thanks. Thanks. thank you. Thank you. But I think what's really interesting is how fast things change. Like the timestamp that you were putting on them, I was thinking, oh, I I thought it was kind of a bit irrelevant, but I couldn't believe the kind of, what do you call it, the collective unconscious or our collective consciousness, how we're swinging between, you know, like this is a shock, we're adapting, we don't like it, what are we missing, what are we now, you know, suddenly making sourdough and adopting kittens and showing our ten favourite albums and now it's like I actually like it like this, how are we going to get back to normal? It's been such a... It's, it, it's been like a life cycle on speed of something. Mm, it amazing. certainly
0: has, yeah.
1: It makes me nervous too because I constantly find we do one of these podcasts, we have a chat, and then I'm always nervous that we've sort of missed, the, not the zeitgeist, but, the, you know, the feel in the community changes so quickly that I'm constantly worried that we're sort of half, you know, we've to- we're totally missing the mood. Mm. But there's nothing, nothing you can do about it.
0: Everyone's changing. I had to laugh when you said making sourdough, Catherine, because at this very moment, my daughter is downstairs making sourdough and we've named the sourdough starter Sammy Sourdough and she looks after it better than she looks after the pet in our house. It's just like it has become another member of the family.
2: Did you know that in Sweden they have sourdough um, hotels? So if you go away, you can leave your starter (laughs) at the hotel.
0: What a great idea. Now, there's a business opportunity for us, don't you? Yeah,
2: absolutely. It was totally something that I, a piece of information I never thought would be relevant whatsoever, but it's never been more relevant than it is now. But I think that, that, Rob, you, your family deserves some kind of award for your multiculturalism uh, around the time of Easter, because one night you made um, you know, Jewish baked goods. And the next day you guys were all having a hot cross bun overdose. Hot overdone.
0: cross buns. Again, it was my daughter. She made she made uh, challah. And then according to Steve, she made hot cross buns. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Very kind. Now, speaking of baking and things like that, what are you doing to stay sane with your family during lockdown?
2: Um... We're all pretty insane, so it's we didn't have to make any shifts. No, the truth <laughs> is that because I've been a freelancer my whole life and everybody else here kind of lives a similar lifestyle, I've, I've got a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old and a 51-year-old who live here with a couple of pets, that it's not too different to normal in a lot of ways, that we are kind of, everybody really loves being in the house and we're used to being here, that the only big Difference probably has been um, the 22-year-old's constant tantrums. I've um I know that there's been quite a few words that have been created during the meltdown and lockdown. So his lockdown meltdowns, I've started calling a tantrum. So a tantrum, the definition is when your 22-year-old has cracks the sads about the regulations that the Victorian premiers put down. Mm. Uh, there's been a couple of tantrums here, but it hasn't changed that much because when you live a life, I've never had a full-time job. I've always been a freelancer. You know, mm. it, it's a, this place is called the Atheist Kibbutz where I live. <laughs> and um, isn't it, Steve? That's true.
1: Yeah, it's very true.
2: So it's not too different. So when this all started, um, it's like, oh, well, you know, so what are we doing now? Um, and it was what I found interesting was that I wasn't panicked at all. Yeah. And there were people when I was saying, oh, you know, it's kind of business as usual. And I've been and I've been saying from the start, it's a really interesting time, very interesting mm-hmm. to watch what's going on. And when... And I was enjoying parts of it. And when I said that, there was a lot of people, particularly in the medical community, saying that they were finding it really interesting and they were having, you know, um, kind of an amazing time because it was so fascinating and they got into medicine because they were interested in how these things work but it was something that they didn't feel that they could share in the first kind of half of the lockdown about some people going gee i really like it i know people who work in restaurants who um have been going to bed at one or two o'clock six nights a week for years and years and years who are suddenly able to go to bed at seven thirty at night wake up at five o'clock in the morning and have an entirely different metabolism
1: yeah it's really interesting that point you know i was I kept saying that early on too. And I was quite nervous about saying it. And I kept making lots of caveats and saying, look, you know, it, it, giving saying stuff like, well, this is what we trained for, this is what's so interesting. You know, I've thought about this my whole life. I've read books about doctors during the plague. I've read about the Spanish flu, et cetera, et cetera. But it just felt, it just felt weirdly sort of disrespectful knowing that there was people around the world who were suffering so much and dying. And uh Whereas I think people have got a lot more comfortable now of acknowledging that whilst this is a horrible tragedy for a lot of people, there's been all these silver linings. not only so many people who have slowed down, you know so many people who have reconnected with others, there's there's this series of silver linings, and it makes it there's this strange ambivalence about the whole thing.
2: It's I just think I don't think of it as silver linings there's terrible things happening to people all the time. I mean, yes, there's people dying, but there's people living in ways that they've never really lived ever or certainly for a long time. And to be honest, I mean... Yeah, it's awful, but there's awful stuff ha- st- stuff happening all the time to people. I'd much prefer to be losing my job now when everyone is, and there's a huge groundswell of understanding what that is and how it impacts, than usually when it's just like you're the one person who's lost your job when everybody else has got enough money to pay their, you know, to pay to go out to restaurants and you have to stay home. So I know it's a strange way of looking at it, but. I don't live in a world that's static. I don't live in a world where I have, I don't have superannuation. I don't have any insurance. I I just live by my wits. So it's not too different to me. So I was uh, surprised that people didn't see that this is just a normal part of life and really delighted to see people like finally feeling that they could say, you know what? I'm really enjoying far more than this than I thought I would
1: do you know what do you reckon it's like you know we all live in this universal denial we deny the tragedy on a daily basis we deny that we're going to die we've got all of these mechanisms that keep us going and all of a sudden something's come along that slapped the whole of humanity across the face and said you know what you're not in control um you're all surviving on your wits your sense of security is bullshit um and so there's been, it, it has it been a mass awakening
0: Steve, I, you, we talked about this in one of our recent podcasts about the idea of existentialism, that we're in constant denial about the uncertainty in the world, about that we will eventually die, that um, there is there are a whole lot of choices that we have to make and that we are ultimately isolated as human beings. And so you're right, this has brought this into, into sharp relief. But I just want to come back to what, what Catherine was saying before. I, I think what you were saying, or... Well, the sense that I had was that we've become galvanized as, as, a, as a community. This There's is, this is sort of, ex, um, excitement's not the correct word, but there's this sense that we're all in this together. And if one, you know, like, as you said, if something happens to one person, well, there's about a million other people that's happening to as well. You don't feel, I mean, you, we are physically isolated, but we're not isolated in terms of the effect it's having on society.
2: I think there's a lot of people who've been marginalised for a long time, people yeah. who've been New Start, people with yeah. disabilities who've wanted to work from home, all of these things that people have wanted for a long time and they've said, the government and society have said, those things aren't possible. It's not possible to be working from home. It's not <laughs> yeah. possible that your kids can miss out on a couple of in terms of school and that be beneficial or neutral in any way, shape or form. But now these people who've been saying new start is not high enough, you know, youth allowance is not high enough. You know, we should be able to work at home. Um, suddenly socialism is bailing out capitalism yet again, <laughs> and it's yeah. only for capitalist reasons that people are able to have. The humane treatment that they should have had all along you see there'll be no way that they'll be able to pull new stuff back to the ridiculous amount that it's on like it's up forever and that is great but why did it take the privileged people the advantaged people the fortunate people to be knocked this hard for um for this to occur what you know why didn't we just look after the people who needed it
0: i mean on mm. that do, do, you, do you see any parallels in our era and the post-war era like a time of great change and upheaval can you can you see any parallels between those two points
2: yeah i can and i'm really i'm really excited to see what the after is going to look like Mm. so after the original shock there was um a, a flurry of articles that i read and they all talked about um the measures that have occurred you know in now and how much of them will be hanging around later, and will that be a good idea or a bad idea? And they were the extremes. It's like you know, wow, this is great. These fantastic socialist mechanisms uh, have been brought in to help us live in a more functional, more comfortable, and more humane way. We need to make sure this doesn't change. You know, people looking after each other, and you know, mm. more benefits and um, organisation. But then there was also the other. Um, totalitarian concerns, Mm. which were, the police have got more power than they've ever had before. We've got to make sure that this Mm. doesn't carry on Mm. after this is over. Mm. So I'm very interested to see the way that people may finally realise that the way that we were living was unsustainable. Mm. Like it wasn't. The good old days, like it was for me because I've, I've never, you know, done the nine to five thing or whatever, my life really hasn't changed that much. I'm really interested in what it feels like when those people are being told that they have to get in their cars and drive 45 minutes in traffic mm-hmm. in order to get to a job that they hate and sit there and watch the clock and not be paid for results and not be treated in a humane way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be... Historically, I I think it's unavoidable, and I'm just sitting back here in some ways a little smugly going, this is what I always told you life was. You know, I know there's plenty of my friends who are in similar financial positions to you with kind of careers, very kind of solid you know, high high earning careers with no real concerns about money, who've always looked at me and said, oh Dev I just, I panic when I even think about your life. You've got (laughs) no security, you've got no savings and I've always just said it's a false economy, it's all an illusion i have lived from on my wits and if the shit hits the fan if only 20% of the people who i have supported and organizations that i have you know helped and you know whatever support me i'll be fine and that is precisely what has happened
1: i'm just a little bit scared you know
2: you're always scared steve
1: i know but i tell you i'll tell you for why um it's because Maybe I'm being pessimistic, but I think this will completely end. I think what will happen is we'll get to a date and uh, the government will say, okay, all the extra money's done. And by the way, we're in a lot of debt, so we're actually going to tighten things up ev- even more. Um, oh, by the way, we're going to keep some of the extra policing because it's so important that we don't allow outbreaks to occur again. Um, <laughs> I'm scared it's going to go the other way. I don't think it'll go entirely the other way, but you know, we'll still do some work from home, but I think it'll go back a little bit.
0: I just want to say, Dev, uh, and pick up on what you talked about, about how uh, changeable and uncertain the world is and how unsustainable it was, you know, the way before. I remember my, my dad, who came, out, who came out, of, um, out of Europe during the war, when he you know, settled in Australia and, you know, every day he'd tell us kids. You don't know how lucky you are that that you know you, that you have certainty that um, you know you've got enough on your plate. You don't know what uncertainty is like. You just don't know what it's like. And we go, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And now it's like, yeah, like the entire world was up for grabs. And um, it's funny how that, those kind of historical themes just keep repeating. You think you're, you know, you think nothing will ever change. You think the world will stay the same, and all of a sudden, the rug's pulled out from under you, and things change. And you're right. You know, there, there, there's this notion of, uh, you know, creative destruction when, you know, when, when things collapse, new things grow out of it, and hopefully those new things that grow out of it, w- we can retain the positive things and not go the way that Steve was saying and retain all these sort of you know um, harsh political power or policing powers. By the way, d- um, Catherine, can I ask you? Have you downloaded the app?
2: Oh, that is a really Uh, Interesting question, Rob, you're the first person who's been brave enough to ask me because when they suggested the app, Mm. I just wrote, I would just link to the app and write, no way, get fuck, fuck off. Um, But I actually have. And the reason that I have is because I've asked quite a few people in tech and people who are kind of, you know, dirty lefties like me, and it seems fairly richy-ditch the way that it works. My partner, you know, has a background in IT, so I kind of ran it past him. And... um, I am overriding my suspicion of it and I'm keeping a very close eye on it mm-hmm. because my main thing is I want, I, I'm very concerned about um, uh, small businesses, uh, the arts, yes. people in domestic violence situations. And if yep. I can do anything, nothing is risk free. Nothing is risk free. If I can do anything to make sure that they can get to the best possible place with the least amount of damage, so, yeah, I did it, but I, I gave it a lot of thought, and if there's any issues with it, I'll be flicking it straight off. But I think it's it's fairly straightforward.
1: Hey, uh, on that topic, Catherine, you're obviously a writer, a comedian, a social commentator. The arts is your bread and butter. Um, a lot of, There's been a lot of concerns raised about the, the, all aspects of the creative arts. What are your thoughts so far on where we're up to?
2: Well, um, As alumni from Monash, um, you'll know what Mojo is, which is the the student newspaper there. Um, I was interviewed by them about this topic and they said, you know, are the arts getting um, enough help? And I said, well, we're getting more than we normally get, which is not nearly what we should be getting. Um, The arts brings something like um, 170 billion a year into the Australian economy, which is way more than even the aviation industry. Hang on
0: a second, was that 170 billion or a-
2: 117 billion?
0: 117 billion, sure.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it's far more than what, yeah. Well, I mean, it's far more what the aviation or even my, mi- I think even mining bring in. So we've never been funded enough uh, because people in the arts generally are very good at pivoting. We've been, you know, mm. we because we've been able to pivot and because it's assumed that we will, we haven't got nearly as much as we should, but we've gotten more than we generally would have, um, which is not enough. Uh, I got my very first grant, but that was only after I made um, 20 free online writing masterclasses and they're still there they are on YouTube and they're on Facebook. And then I have a community of, uh, people who are part of my Gunners Writing Masterclass and I always send out, oh, there's this opportunity, there's this opportunity and I was I was flicking these grant applications up on the Gunners page and I thought, I'm not doing for anything for the next hour. Why don't I just apply for this City of Melbourne grant and I got it. And so I'm going to be able to do some more. Um, but I did the first 20 off my own bat with no financial assistance whatsoever. Mm. So I'm really concerned about uh, this, you know, there's people who are always gonna be okay, but um, pubs, you know, it, it's gonna be a while before pubs open up and we can have stand up and, and uh, we can have music back in the pubs. I mean, there's the, you know, there's the theater, you know, Melbourne Theater Company and the um, City orchestra and stuff, they'll just be bailed out by, um, they'll be bailed out by taxes, but those individuals are still impacted and if you were on a wage as a, as a musician in the MSO, you're not going to qualify for job keeper most likely, unless you've got a small business on the side and you're running, um, you know, teaching music. So my concerns are, you know, the small business and the arts. And what I do hope, but I'm an optimist and Steve is a pessimist, uh, what I do hope will occur <laughs> is that... Um, People will go, like even we, Anthony and I came back from um, a walk this morning and we went past a little Indian place that we went to once. And we went, wow, we should have got, you know, we didn't go back there again. We meant to go back there again. We have, we're always out and about doing stuff. And I am hoping that because people have seen the arts denuded, that as soon as there's an opportunity to support the arts and turn up to the arts, that it will, there will be a, a huge spike There'll be a huge spike restaurants cafes the arts all of these things it's like people are saying oh my god i've been meaning to go to the national gallery for years i've been meaning to check out tempo rubato i've been meaning to go to that open mic, mic night as soon as it's open as soon as it's open i'm going to be there so i'm looking forward to a big bounce in both those areas
0: i reckon you're right I, I look maybe i'm an optimist as well i think what one of the things that isolation has done is to bring into sharp relief the things that we took for granted. And a lot of those things in the arts, is you just take for granted. You, you could even go see a movie whenever you want Yeah. You know, even something as simple as that, which, which, so it makes me want to, to think about the nature of the arts. Do you think the nature, the content of, of what the arts will be presenting in the future will be different to what it's been the last, say, 10 or, so years, like the stuff that you'll be talking about or writing about or producing?
2: Um, I hope not. I hope it's not all going to become very pandemic-focused because I don't have any interest in working on that or going and seeing it. But I do think others will. I think that the way that, I mean, you know, Rob, you're Jewish and Mm -hmm. Steve, you're a bogan, uh, so you know how important um, the arts have been to process trauma. Mm,
0: Sure, sure.
2: So growing up and we had, I did one of these, this is a beautiful circle back, I did one of these ten albums that shaped shaped your life on Facebook and my second album is You Don't Have to Be Jewish, the, um, the LP. And I grew up in, you know, working class Irish Catholic household but we had this album and I was really interested in comedy and I listened to it over and over and over and it made me ask questions about, you know, why did they change their surname and what does that mean mm-hmm. and it helped me understand in, in as much as a girl in a housing commission reservoir listening to you don't have to be jewish it gave me an understanding it linked me into uh interacting with that experience yep. in a way i may not have if it was just presented to me as a history lesson at mm-hmm. school like if the pill is in the dog food of music or theater or graffiti or you know slam poetry or fashion sometimes that's a way that people can digest and understand um, historical things and economical things in a way that if they were just told read this book because we're going to be doing an exam on it well so part of me is hoping I don't think that there's a market for big pandemic stuff but I absolutely see that there's a place that helps us process what's gone on by um, having it uh, fictionalised or having it, you um, uh, it, it, it's part of the, the the fodder that we use to generate our art.
1: Mm. On that topic then, what do you think of the comedy of the pandemic so far, all of the memes and everything that's going on? You know, what do you make of what do you make of it in general? And do you reckon it's helping us process things in real time right now?
2: I, I really think it is. And I've been fascinated to watch the different kinds of um comedy and even the different kinds of arts that have been created during this time like at the beginning the memes were about you know eating bats and you know and 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 Wuhan and and all that kind of stuff and then it moved into you know everybody getting fat and hairy and women growing beards and you know men not putting on pants and now we've, we've moved into this kind of Stockholm syndrome uh element of the experience this collective experience that we're having that it's like we don't want to go back out there It's we like it here with our sourdough and our cats and our beards and our no pants so I can't wait to open Facebook every morning and see what the latest like the stupid masks you know like the face masks but I do think that it's helping people feel a sense of solidarity now Steve you know you're talking about the totalitarian stuff still hanging around and you're kind of you would probably call it Realism, but I would call it pessimism. I think that we forget we've never been through something like this globally with the internet. And with the connections that we now have and the way that we think about things, we have so much compare and contrast that we can do, whether it's with comedy, whether it's information or whether it's our own experience. There's been some really great, um, a couple of things that have really stood out to me comedy-wise. Um, and I can send them to you so you can put the, these links in. That'd be um, great. This, Thanks, the, the three things that have come up to me, and I don't know the names of these artists, but we'll make sure that we have them in there. There's um, a woman talking to herself six months in the future. So she's sitting there having a breakfast and the woman, and she looks up and she goes, oh, and she goes, I'm Jenny six months from now. And she's like, oh, really? And said, do you want, do you want me to tell you what's going to happen? She's like, sure. What well, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? And she's saying the good news. And she says, well, the environment has never been in greater shape. It's like, well, that's great, isn't it? That's great news. I mean, considering the Australian wildfires and the other version of her saying the what? Well, surely that's going to be the defining event of 2020. So you would think so. And it really, it unpacked it. Um, So that's a great one. We'll link that. Um, Another one is... um, an Australian comedian who um, I've never seen before and she's doing the versions of yourself, you know, the I'm up, I'm doing the Pilates, you know, I'm having a kale smoothie and, like, <laughs> and, and then it just cuts to her in, like, just, like, unwashed, sniffing in her armpits, saying, I smell like a bin and then it's back to oh, I'm <gasps> organising, everything's great, you know, that, that what they call the Corona Coaster the, oh, right. the extraordinary, um, the impact that this has had on our emotions. Uh, the third thing that comes to mind, which is something I only saw yesterday, which was this is this really cute little sitcom which is on YouTube, and um, Robin Butler wrote it with Lucy Durack, I think, and Eddie Perfects in it, and it sets now and it's not just talking about the coronavirus it's like everyone's in lockdown and the protagonist it has spent so much time making lasagna and cupcakes that they give her ukulele lessons to give her something to do and she does these online ukulele lessons with eddie perfect who's just lost his job and has never run ukulele classes again but is trying to get a side hustle going so they're It's really interesting the way that this stuff reflects. And I think it helps people feel that they're not alone. And I think it helps people process it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, humor is just a great way of of processing stuff, as you say. And there are so many memes out there. And we will put those links um, up on our uh, feed so people can have a look at them.
2: It was also a great list, and I've come up with the term dantrum, but there I'll, we'll put this on the link as well. Which I don't know who wrote it. No one can find the author for me. So if you find it, please let us know, and we'll put that in with the links. Which is different lingo that we use yeah. now, these new language. And I think my favourite was um, the term Quentin Quarantino, which is what we <laughs> call someone who's been making videos during lockdown. He's a bit of a Quentin Quarantino.
1: I came up with some a couple of months ago too, because we you know, noticed at work a whole lot of stuff. We had our corona groaners who obviously just whinged every day. We had our corona stoners who just talked about how much drugs they were taking to avoid the stress of isolation. The corona loners who kept ringing up and saying, I'm out of work, can I have a loan? Um, we had uh, the corona moaners who were spending most of the isolation having sex or masturbating. And, uh, and we had one that was a little bit more controversial, the corona boners, the people who were so co- excited about the coronavirus that every time they talked about it, their eyes lit up about, you know, especially early on, you know, when a lot of doctors in particular and scientists all of a sudden were thrust into the spotlight. They were the corona boners, just getting a little bit too excited about what was uh, unfolding. Mm.
0: So, Catherine, h- how are you going to describe 2020 to your great-grandkids what are you going to tell them about
2: it i've thought about that because i know mm-hmm. um so we're going back to the lingo so my partner anthony's done a lot of stuff but he's just he just started his um handyman um uh business which he was really happy doing and he's riding around on his bike fixing people's mm-hmm. you know door handles and putting up shelves and stuff and he came up with this term which term which i've never heard before so at the beginning he was like saying oh, um, I don't know whether I should be going to people's houses or not going to people's houses. I don't want to be a curve steepener. And um, <laughs> I don't want to be accused of being curve steepener. And people would be asking you know, how's everything going? It's like, well, Dom's doing uni at home and, you know, Hugo's spending a bit of time in the bungalow and, you know, like, and and then I'd say, Anthony's really spewing because he was really enjoying, he just set up this business going well and he's worried about being a a curve steepener. Um, And people saying is that a term? I said, well, he's been using it. So that didn't catch on, but feel free to take it and run with it. (laughs) Um, So, um, what am I going to tell my grandchildren? Well, I'm actually... I'm actually one of those grandchildren. I know that um, with any of these kind of things, whether it's fires or when somebody, you know, is famous dies, that they like to put themselves in the centre of it. Mm. But it's been a very a particularly interesting time for me because my great-grandfather died of the Spanish flu in the mm-hmm. exhibition buildings in Melbourne. Sure, sure. Um, and he died and he um, left my great-grandmother, um, Martha, who is a milliner with two young children, uh, Jeff, who was my grandfather and Tom, and, uh, she had to give Tom away for adoption. And because at back then there was no benefits to mm. keep people going. Mm. And, um, you know, we still, and so, um, that, that, that family was very, um, uh, kind of broken by mm. that experience. And, my great-grandfather my grandfather jeff came home to find that his his um, mother my great-grandmother had died by suicide when he was 16 so he was an orphan at that point and i think that his experience really impacted on even how i parent my own children so it's been so what did i know about that experience as being you've asked me what what am i going to tell my grandchildren what did i get told by my grandfather zero Absolutely nothing. Mm. All I know is that his great his his father died in the Spanish flu, and in the exhibition buildings, and that my great grandmother um, died by suicide mm. thirteen years later. Um, she may have uh, had bipolar. There's bipolar mm. in our family, um, or she may have just been struggling with mm. life and depression, or just had enough. Mm. So I think that what i would be telling my grandchildren is that you know human beings don't change much people who whinge about their normal life they whinge about they whinged about pandemic life it was very quiet and i felt it wasn't i people said oh do you miss your gun like running your master classes and standing up performing i actually don't miss that because i'm still in contact making my online writing classes and in contact on Facebook and stuff. But the thing that I really do um, uh, miss and w- which kind of dragged me down emotionally, I miss the hustle and bustle on the streets. I miss, I live you know, close to town. I live on the border of Brunswick and Coburg because I love the hustle and bustle. I love hearing the trams, the kids going up and down to school, getting out on my bike and on the bike path, seeing people going to and from work, to and from school, to and from dates, coming back from big nights. And I think that I'll explain that human nature doesn't really change, events do. And people either adapted the way they would adapt to anything else in their life, or they didn't adapt, and they
0: just became a corona groaner. Do you know that thing about strangers is so true? I was just saying last night around the dinner table that I just so miss just interacting with strangers, people in the street. You know, the other day I went to buy some some fruit and veg, and just having this conversation with the person behind the desk and chatting, and you know, and then it. And whenever I go shopping with my kids, they cringe in embarrassment when I just struck up conversations with people. It's like, Dad, how can you do that? It's so embarrassing. But that's that's, that's what I like to do. And I've really, really, really missed that. So I totally get that idea of being in the hustle and bustle and just, you know, meeting people and interacting socially.
2: Um, My mate Louise Fox is one of Australia's greatest writers. Um, She did Glitch. She worked on Broadchurch, on... um, uh, Love my way, millions of things. If you put Louise Box in, you'll see that she's one of our greatest and most prolific writers. Um, she's Jewish. And I had said to her, Jesus Christ, like in the first weeks I said, this is like walking around Caulfield during Shabbat because (laughs) everyone was just out on the street. That was exactly what what it was. And she said, Dev, I feel like I'm basically Anne Frank with a modem. That was her take on things because she's a writer, which I thought was quite funny. But it really did feel like when I was um, fifteen, I worked at the Corfield Racecourse, so I'd come from Reservoir, from the train station there, into Flinders Street, and then we take the tram to the Corfield Racecourse. So I, you know, I'd seen that a lot. They're just kind of walking around, and there's times I'm in Caulfield during Shabbat, and I see everyone just kind of wandering around, and it's exactly mm. what it felt like for the mm. first. time few weeks just people walking around because they couldn't turn on light bulbs
1: hmm. hey uh dev we're gonna have to wind up it is so nice having you on the show um you one of the most astute social commentators and observers of what happens in our society and uh and uh you from my perspective you're always one of the first people to notice trends that are coming and you know, changes that are occurring. So it's so nice to hear you talking about um, what you see. And I especially love your um, optimism because I know I can be too pessimistic about <laughs> these things. I hope we can get you back again down the track to, uh, you know, when a, a little bit more time's passed, just so we can reflect back on this and uh, and we can touch base on, you know, how the different you know aspects of our life have changed as we come out of um, lockdown and get back into the real world. And congrats on you. Your, um, on your uh, grant, grant from uh, Arts, yeah. was it Arts Victoria? No, it was the City of Melbourne. City of Melbourne. And anyway, we will link those things. We'll also link your Gunners Writing Masterclasses so people, if they want to do writing courses as things are coming up, they can check them out because that's how I started in writing as uh, as as the three of us well know. Um, so thanks again so much for joining the show. Thanks, Dave. Hey, you've forgotten. What have I forgotten?
2: I've listened to these podcasts and you haven't asked me the question. <gasps> Rob's last question.
0: Ball. Rob, over to Dave, you. You, are, you. You are fantastic. We should You're ask fantastic. her to produce our show. <laughs> You're more fantastic. professional than us. That's the thing.
1: We're not very professional at this stuff. Rob, hit so, your last question. So, Catherine,
0: what are you doing now better? Or what are you doing better now than you were doing six months ago before COVID?
2: I have started this thing I call the Corona Run. So, I've always... Exercise my whole life. I've done, you know, laps and yoga and running and um, in the last year I've been going to the gym and doing an hour on the elliptical trainer um, most days um, Partly, you know, basically to keep the crazies away um, But I've always told people in their lives and particularly in writing the simple small just do simple things that are not daunting you be surprised how much you get out of them. So, um, I've been enjoying doing the elliptical train for lots of reasons. I get an arm workout as well as a leg workout. There's less impact um, and I'm inside and it's warm and there's, you know, toilets there and stuff. So I've had to start running out on the streets again. And I've started doing something that I've never done before. I'd I'd normally go for a 5 or a 10K run and I've started doing this thing where I just do Um, a 2k run around a block outside my house there's a block outside my house which is 2.2ks and instead of going right I'm going to get out and do four blocks or I'm going to do three blocks I just do one and what I've never done that before I've never gone out and done a really short um cardio workout before and because I tend to put big expectations or bigger um, it can often be a bit daunting and then it's three o'clock and I go, oh, bugger it, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do a bit more. But because it's just one 15-minute or 10-minute run, I'm kind of amazed at the positive impact of mm-hmm. doing that and wondering how much physical benefit am I getting from doing, making sure that I raise my heartbeat every day for a short period of time as opposed to doing it for a longer period of time three or four times a week so I'm a bit interested in that and I don't think I would have done that without corona so it's my it's my corona you know getting rid of the crazies run but it's something that I've never done before so that's what I'm doing better
1: that's nice that's a good idea Hey, um oh sorry Rob I can see you're about to speak and I keep interrupting you say something my friend
0: no no no. it's, it's the story of our lives mate we've known each other 40 years nothing has changed since high school you know Catherine that's probably one of the um uh Answers that most resonates with me that I've asked people because same with me, my physical activity has changed and I'm doing little bits more and some of the longer bits too, but uh, I'm a big advocate for physical exercise and the way it affects your your thinking. So well done you. And thanks for joining us. Thank
2: you so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, See you Dev. Shabbat shalom.
0: (laughs) Shabbat shalom. So that was Catherine Devaney, an absolute character, You know, it was just a joy to interview her. And we could have done this for about three or four hours, I reckon. And we will definitely be asking her to come back on the show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe. And please, 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 we love feedback. We love feedback. So write us some feedback, uh, anything, even a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We've also got a Facebook page called Shrink the Virus. And we have an email called shrinkofthevirus at gmail.com if you want to write in some comments. Steve also has a website called, funnily enough, steveallen.com with lots of info. Stephen, you've got some numbers to give us. So, yeah, I think it's always
1: important. We, we like to, you know, whenever we talk about things that have an emotional content, um, it's important to point out that if it does cause you any stress, don't forget all the usual numbers you can call Good. Lifeline 131114, Beyond Blue 1300 224, 636 Kids Helpline one 800 and all three of them have um, websites, and all three of them have specific info about coronavirus. We should also do our thank yous for the amazing people at our favourite radio station Triple R. Um, Beck, Mia, Grace, Elizabeth, and Michael, thank you so much for helping us produce and host this podcast. Rod, any Rob, anything else, man?
0: Forty years, and you still still can't get my name right.
1: No, I just can't speak (laughs) properly. (laughs) And also, it's it's Sunday. It's Saturday morning, so I might can't (laughs) even get the day right. I might be a little bit hungover.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, we'll catch up with you again in a couple of days' time. Cheers. Ciao. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform.